Notice anything different? That's right. No ad. Which means this space is available. So if you have a company or brand or product or anything really that you'd love to promote on 30 Pop, this is your chance. Just shoot me an email at the link in the show notes and I'll give you all the relevant details. Now, on to 30 Pop. Tristan, hey man, it's your uncle. Oh, what's up, dude? So, 30 years ago, the number one film in the country was a film called Uncle Buck, which I'm guessing you've never seen? You are correct. Okay, so it's a movie about basically a teenage girl who's sort of embarrassed of her uncle and then comes to learn that he's the coolest, best uncle in the world. And I just wanted to give you some space to talk about when you realized that I was the coolest, best uncle in the world. What age were you, if you can remember that far back? I mean, it was... As far as I could remember, just hanging out. I mean, we were always pretty cool. We were always, I think, just wrestling on the floor. It was like you were the one that spent the time and wanted to get freaking burnt knees on the carpet. So that was that was that was always fun to me, you know. So, so you would say on the record that I was never embarrassing to you, right? I mean, I'm sure there's a couple times. I remember being a little embarrassed of you a couple times, like when you bleached your hair. Do you remember that? Yeah. Well, what about uh when I uh blue eggs all over your, your your room i do remember you sneezing eggs yeah yeah that hurt that was uncomfortable <laughs> okay this isn't what i anticipated the conversation going but you know i'm just i'm happy for you that you have an amazing uncle in me hey i got pretty lucky you hit the uncle jackpot i hit the jackpot <laughs> awesome all right man well i'm gonna start the episode sounds good all right love you see ya from milieu media group this is 30 pop a weekly peek back at the music, movies, sports, fashion, politics, and news from 30 years ago. I'm your host, Luke Bronner. This is Season 1, Episode 28, Molly Russell's Work. Today we're looking back at the week that ended Saturday, September 2nd, 1989. Hello friends and welcome once again to 30 Pop. I'm so thankful, as always, to get to spend a little time reminiscing on what life looked like 30 years ago. Today's an especially fun episode for me as we're looking back at a movie that I've spent the last three decades loving, Uncle Buck. This week in 1989 was the third straight week that Uncle Buck was the top-grossing film at the box office, and rightfully so. It's no secret that John Hughes was an absolutely brilliant filmmaker, having written and or directed so many of the films that came to define the 80s and 90s including Sixteen Candles, The Breakfast Club, Mr. Mom, Weird Science, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Home Alone, and the first few National Lampoon's Vacation movies. He was an absolute master of his craft, and the world is better because he was in it. Before we dive in, though, I mentioned last week that there was finally some movement on the Billboard charts this week after nearly two straight months of Prince's Batman soundtrack claiming the number one album spot. The number one album 30 years ago this week, following the success of his massive single, Right Here Waiting, was Richard Marx's sophomore album, Repeat Offender. Interestingly, his single lost the number one spot this week to Paula Abdul's equally massive, Cold Hearted, her second tune to top the charts in 89, with plenty more success to come in 1990. The only other notable event in pop culture this week was the television return of one of my favorite childhood series, G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero. (laughs) 
much to say about this show except that I loved it and the toys that inspired it, despite their overly propagandistic nature. And yes, I had to Google to make sure that was a real word. It is. Now, I mentioned a couple episodes back that I wanted to hold off a few weeks to talk about Uncle Buck. That's because my dear friend, filmmaker Aaron Hale, is the biggest John Candy fan I know, and maybe the biggest John Hughes fan I know. So we hopped on a call this week to talk about it in a segment we call Film Depreciation. Aaron, welcome back to 30 Pop. Always a joy to have you on. Thanks for having me, Luke. Always a joy to be on. So for weeks, I've been sort of leading up to this episode so that we could finally talk about Uncle Buck. Yeah. So the film is actually released 30 years ago, a few weeks back, but... This week, 30 years ago, it was still the number one film at the box office. And I know you're a huge John Candy fan, so you were the obvious choice. Of course. You know, what's funny is I introduced my kids to Uncle Buck a couple of weeks ago. And after we watched it, I was just on Facebook or something. And something came up and it said, happy 30th birthday to Uncle Buck. And I was like, what? I literally watched it on his 30th birthday. (laughs) I had no idea. It was awesome. Man, so I just rewatched it before we jumped on the call, and I am so happy with how well that movie holds up. Like, it is still so good, so funny. Isn't it great? Well, you know why, because it's John Hughes. I know, and you expect that with John Hughes movies, but like, you just never quite know until you rewatch something. Right. I wouldn't change anything about it. No, it's so good. Oh, my gosh. You know, I always tell people that I think John Candy is like my guardian angel. (laughs) 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 <laughs> it's so weird, but I really do feel that way. I love him. Well, here's what's amazing to me, and what I thought the whole time I was watching it this time is like John Candy has this incredible ability to be in these very, very like silly movies. I mean, he's done you know some really, really ridiculous stuff, but like even the role of Uncle Buck is kind of ridiculous. But yeah, but he's such a good actor. Like he's not just silly; he's such a good actor, and so he totally nails it. Yeah, and he's so lovable. Like, gosh, even when he's like kind of being a jerk. Like, you love him, you know? Yeah, yes. And you're, like, rooting for him when he is a jerk. <laughs> did you do any research on this movie? I didn't. <laughs> okay, so I was going to share with you a few folks who were also considered for the role of Uncle Buck. Oh, man. I think you'll find this interesting. I'm excited. Okay, so John Goodman was considered for the role, which I could actually see. Yeah, not near uh, lovable, but I do love John Goodman. Yeah. Danny DeVito was considered for the role. Oh, wow. Which would have been a real slimy Uncle Buck. That makes me think of his character in Twins. Yeah, but you know what? I feel like Danny DeVito may have made him the sleaziness that he was supposed to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel yeah. 
John Candy's not really sleazy. He's supposed to be kind of a sleazeball in the movie, but he's not. Yeah, see, I don't see him as a sleazeball because the way that his brother describes him, as soon as he pitches the idea to his wife about having him come, he says, well, he is responsible. So, like, he maybe doesn't have a job and he's maybe kind of a slob, but, like, he is responsible. Yeah, he is pretty slobby. (laughs) Okay, so Jack Nicholson was considered for the role. Weird. Didn't take it because he was busy on the set of Batman. And then Robin Williams was considered for the role. Wow. But he was busy shooting Dead Poets Society. Wow. Interesting. Other folks who were considered for Buck. So Joe Pesci was considered. Okay. John Travolta was considered. Awful. Bill Murray. Of course. Tom Hanks. Wow. He would have been young. Yeah. Steve Martin, Chevy Chase, Jim Belusi. I mean, like, everybody was considered for this, but they were all... Tim Allen. I mean, everybody was busy on the sets of other movies, and so they didn't take it. And it's like, while any one of them could have made a great movie called Uncle Buck, I don't think any of them could have done what John Candy yeah. did. No. I mean, John Candy's the obvious choice, in my opinion. Yeah, I think so, too. That may just be because we grew up watching him in that role. But. I'm sure. Man, I love everything about that movie, too. And, you know, I feel like I say this about everything that we talk about on this show, but I had a big crush on the teenage girl. Tia. Oh, man. Oh, man. She was Okay, so she is actually the thing. When I rewatched it today, she was the most impressive part of the film for me because she's perfect casting right there. Perfect casting, but like also just incredible acting. I mean, like she can do so much with like the most subtle facial expressions. The face, man, she nailed that teenage like rolling the eyes. So perfect. Yeah. So you know who's even better? When I was watching it, I said multiple times, "Oh, he's so good." Is the boyfriend. Bugs. Jay Underwood, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> From the boy who could fly. Yeah, you realize that's the He's same like kid, a, yeah. The complete opposite personality from the boy who could fly, but like, man, he is great in that. I love Everybody him. is. I mean, so Gabby Hoffman, who plays Maisie, Macaulay Culkin, who plays Miles. I mean, like, and it was like obvious to me once I watched this of like, of course he got the role of Kevin in yeah, yeah. Home Alone. I mean, yeah. he, he set himself up perfectly for it. I read somewhere that Gabby Hoffman like couldn't stand Macaulay Culkin, really? this film, which is really funny because they're just little kids, you know, but she, yeah. like, she just really didn't like him. Yeah. And so a couple years later, when he started having all his success with Home Alone, that's what got her like back into acting. She had stopped acting, but she felt competitive with him. And so <laughs> she didn't want him to make didn't money like to someone her. someone else stealing the spotlight or something. You know who else is in this movie that you, it's only just credited as like, I mean, she was just like an extra, but went on to be in one of Macaulay Culkin's major films, Anna Chlumsky. Really? Yes. She's just like a kid at school. Kid in the school? Yeah. Oh. And then Tia, so while I love Tia, I think Tia was, I mean, again, perfectly cast. Winona Ryder was originally considered for the role. That was, she was the first pick, but I think she was shooting Beetlejuice or something. And so she couldn't do it, but. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, okay. uh, I that movie is one of my favorites. I mean, any John Hughes movie is my favorite. If I wish so bad that John Hughes was still around, because you know mm-hmm. he's making some incredible films still. Yeah, John Candy too. Yeah, gosh, it would be such a dream to work with any of those people you you listed. But John Hughes and John Candy would have been up there for me as an actor. Yeah. So as a filmmaker, I've heard you say multiple times that. You know, you wish you could like play the role of John Candy at some point. What is it with what is it with you and John Candy? There's something about him like I've gone down like rabbit holes with John Candy where I'll just watch everything he's ever done and just get it's like 
something inside of me is like, oh my God, I totally feel like I know him. Like, you, and I'm sure everybody feels that way to a degree. That's why he was so lovable and popular. But yeah, I don't know. I just always felt like he kind of has the similar sensibilities to me as an actor. And I don't know, with the comedy and stuff, I just always felt like if there's someone out there who's like me, it would be like my guardian angel. It's John Candy. <laughs> yeah. Weird. No, I love it. You know, one of my favorite things to do on this show is to look at these 30-year-old films and ask the question, who would play that role now? Yeah. And besides you, I think you would make a great Uncle Buck. <laughs> who who else can you imagine in the role, like 2019, the role of Uncle Buck? Who do you see? Yeah. Huh. Man. Do you have someone in mind that you... I could see maybe like Seth Rogen. Yeah. Maybe uh, Danny McBride. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That would be kind of a different movie, but... Yeah, that'd be rated R version of Uncle Buck, I think, yeah. for sure. But <laughs> the guy from Anchorman... Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. David Kechner. Yes. I could 100% see him doing it. Yeah, that would be awesome. I would love that. Or even the guy from Step Brothers. John C. Riley. John C. Riley. yeah. Give yeah. John C. Riley that role. Yeah. That's a great movie right there. Yeah. He could do the like kind of sweethearted, kind of dumb, slob, whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So let me ask you this. What are a couple of your favorite scenes from this movie and why? As a filmmaker, why? Huh. Like for me, I can say one of them is the scene where Miles and Buck are sitting at the breakfast table and Miles is like grilling him with questions. I mean, it's like a classic scene that ends with, and I remember even laughing at this as a kid when he, you know, he says, you have way more nose hair than my dad. And he says, thanks for noticing. He said, I'm a kid. That's my job. Yeah. yeah. So good. Love that scene. Super quick cut. Yeah, that's really great. And it's in the trailer, too, I think. It's, like, perfect for that movie. Um, yeah, that's a good one. I also really like all the scenes with... Oh, my... You know what my favorite scene is, I think? When he goes to visit the principal. Oh, my gosh. So uncomfortable. Oh, it is so good. She's got Buck a, melanoma. Yeah, she's got a big mole on her chin, and he goes, I'm Buck melanoma, Molly Russell's wart. <laughs> and then he tries to backpedal. He's like, I'm the wart. And it so funny oh my god that whole scene my kids were dying oh but just you know here's a quarter go, go downtown and have a rat and all that thing all that your thing off your face oh, so good so that wrong scene is perfect so good just little things that he's doing like when he makes that giant pancake for the kid's birthday yes god that's so good you just love him he's so good with the kids such a great character yeah, and he sort of says something under his breath when he's cooking it. This is what separates the men from the boys. Yeah. But it's like not like a major line. It's just it's just <laughs> flipping a pancake with a snow shovel. Oh, here's another scene I love. It's been one that since I watched it as a kid, I've referred to this scene <laughs> a million times as like something that I just really remembered. It's when he first gets to the house and he's like going through the living room and he picks up the plate. And he dro- he's like looking at it. <laughs> he, he drops it on the Suck. ground, but it doesn't break. And he's like, he picks it up. He's like, huh, unbreakable. And he just smashes it on the piano. Oh. At like two in the morning. <laughs> oh, it's so good. And then he like later, he's like, you know those plates you have in the... Uh... <laughs> where, do you, where do you get something like that? Like an antique shop? Oh, England. Okay. Yeah, so good. God. I really wondered if it was supposed to break when he dropped it and, and he just improv unbreakable. Like, <laughs> because how could they have known? Great movie. Great movie. Now I want to watch it again. 
Okay, so the whole point of this segment of the show, as you know, film depreciation is just to ask the question, how the film holds up after 30 years. I think we've kind of shown our cards, but I'll ask you just for posterity's sake. For you, Aaron, how does this film hold up after 30 years? How would you rate it after 30 years? On a scale? Yeah, the scale of your choice. Okay, it definitely holds up. It's not my favorite John Hughes movie, but... Is it your favorite John Candy movie? Oh, man, that's a great question. Maybe. And that's a big, old statement, too, because like everything he's in. I mean, he did have a weird jaunt in the 90s that was had some weird movies, but I still liked him because he was in them. He also had Home Alone in the 90s. so I know. He nailed that role, too. And every bit of his role in Home Alone was improvised. Was it really? Yeah, he and Catherine O'Hara just improvised that whole all their stuff. Oh, know. that's amazing. She's so great. It definitely holds up. I don't know. I can't really think of a unique creative scale to go by. Let's just go the classic 1 to 10 then. Okay. For the classic 1 to 10, I'd say it's about an 8 for me. An 8. Okay. I think I would go 9. I mean, it, yeah, it's almost perfect to me. And I can't actually think of any reason why it's not perfect. Yeah. I'm just thinking, like, could I see this movie being released today? And that may be. I totally can. I think they could release it as it is today. It'd be raunchier, probably. I mean, it's pretty raunchy. There's actually, like, that was one of the things that jumped out at me, is it was, there were some kind of raunchier moments than I remembered. Yeah. You know, like the clown that shows up and he had been all night at a bachelor. Do you know who that is? Who that actor is? No. It's the guy, he's like the big goon guy in Dumb and Dumber that eats the really oh, hot it? peppers or whatever. Yeah, same, same yeah. guy. Interesting. But yeah, so he's talking about being out at a bachelorette party and he, and he says, if you yeah. have dildo jokes. Yeah. You know, stuff like that, that like, I, I mean, I never caught it as a kid because I was a kid. I wouldn't have known what that meant. But when he said it, when I was watching with my kids, I was like, yeah, what <laughs> But, uh, like, please don't ask any questions about what he just said. But I love when he, he like comes back up and his, his nose is like flat. <laughs> <laughs> it is so good. Okay. Yeah, so say nine. I, I'll say nine just because I don't want to be outdone by. I, then maybe I'll go ten. Maybe I'll go ten because I don't want to be tied by you. Shut up. Okay. Well, man, always a joy to have you on. Can't wait to have you back. I know we've got you on several more times this year because we've still got like the wizard coming. We've got a lot of really yeah. fun stuff. So you need to get back down to Houston. I know, man. I want to, and I will. We'll make it happen. Because this over the phone business is just not going to cut it for me. Not for me either. This may be the first segment where I haven't cursed that you haven't had to tell your mom, you know, warn your mom about me. You, know? you just want to get one in? I might have to say f***. There we go. <laughs> your mom. Do you, do you want to apologize to her real quick? I'm sorry, Becky. There we go. I love you, and it's, now it's just I have to because... The fans want it. The fans... They require it. It's in my rider. Luke has it in my contract. I got to... When he has me on the show, I have to say, two f- <laughs> Okay. Aaron, always a joy. We'll talk to you soon. All right, man. See have a good one. About the time Aaron and I got off that call, to my great surprise and excitement, I got an email response from a Hollywood agent I'd reached out to earlier in the day requesting an interview with actress Jean Louisa Kelly, who played Tia Russell in the film. And the next day we got to hop on a call of our own. It was an absolute joy getting to talk to her and hear all about her experience working with legends like John Hughes and John Candy. 
Here's our conversation. Jean, thanks so much for taking the time to be on 30 Pop today. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So you played the role of rebellious 15-year-old Tia in the film Uncle Buck. I'm so curious. This is your film debut, right? It was. It was a flashy way to enter the film world. <laughs> I mean, seriously, coming out of the gate with a John Hughes film, you were what, 15, 16 years old when you made the movie? I was 16. I had my 17th birthday on the set and they got me a big cake and it said, she was just 17. You know what we mean. (laughs) And then John Candy actually gave me a hard rock cafe jacket from, I guess their hard rock cafe in Chicago. Oh, that's amazing. So I have to assume at that age, you were already a John Hughes fan. Oh yeah. I mean, Breakfast Club, that was the big one. And I was a total fan. But it was interesting to me because I had no knowledge of being in the movies at all. Like I had literally, I had never done a television show. I had never done a guest spot on anything. It was one of those crazy, just like right place, right character, you know. What was like the casting process? How does that even happen? Well, I had an agent because I had gotten an agent when I was 14. I had done a talent contest locally and it had gone to New York and then I was in the finals and the judges were all agents and casting directors. So I had an agent at a young age. And then the year after that, I did into the woods on Broadway because I had gotten, you know, I was able to get in there. And after that, I moved back home and it's interesting. This part was so perfect for me because I grew up in Massachusetts and we moved to Maryland that fall. I had literally the year before I lived in New York doing this play and went back home to Massachusetts and then we moved to Maryland. So I totally identified with the character who moves from Indiana to, I guess, Chicago. So I just totally identified with her. So the perfect right, you know, role for me. But when we moved to Maryland, I got this audition and I took the train up to New York City and I went to the casting office and I read for the casting director and then they called me back and I read for, I guess I read for John Hughes. It was like a screen test. And I think I actually read with John Candy. Um, at the time, I don't think I realized how crazy rare it was. I mean, I kind of knew, yeah. but you don't really know until you've lived a little longer. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Through a few more years of like how it's usually not. Well, and they've become such legends in the 30 years that have passed since then. I mean, they were already big names, but like, you know, now they're just so legendary, especially since we lost both of them at such young ages. But I know you had to have just been freaking out when you got cast in a John Hughes film. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. It was crazy time. We had just moved to Maryland and then I was, I was there for a couple months and then I moved to Chicago that I guess it was in January, to shoot the movie for three months, you know, in the freezing cold. God, that was really cold. Yeah, I read somewhere it was supposed to have shot in St. Louis, but St. Louis had like an unseasonably warm winter. So y'all had to sort of at the last minute 
move it to Chicago. I didn't know uh, that. I've, I've been doing all kinds of research. On all the right. Film, well, so. you can educate me. Yeah. So, yeah, it's also a fun fact. It must have been January because I read somewhere else that this is one of the only films that was like start to finish from shoot to release to even like the VHS release all happened in 1989. So the whole process happened in the one year, which I think is amazing. But Wait, so did it come out like the same year that we shot it? Yeah, that's yeah, and even even release like was distributed on home video the same year. All of that happened in one year. That's what I was reading on IMDb at least. That's crazy. That is crazy. I mean, that barely happens now with movies, you know, that are in theaters for like a month. Well, you know, and then the following year, it's making sense that it came out in August because then I went back to school and it was a small town in Maryland and it was my senior year. And people had seen the movie and I would walk down the hall and people would be like, Uncle Buck. They'd just like, yo, Uncle Buck. <laughs> it's such creativity. Yeah, it was not the easiest way to sort of blend. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's funny. I rewatched the film and I've loved this movie basically my whole life. I mean, I was nine when it came out, so I've always loved it. But I rewatched it as I was sort of prepping for this episode. And you were the character. This is why I actually reached out to your agents, because you were the actress that jumped out at me. I was like, oh, my God, like, she's incredible in this film. I had no idea it was your debut. But, like, your ability to sort of communicate so much with just your facial expressions in this movie (laughs) is incredible. I see all of the angst. That spills over into real life, I guess. Stay a little more neutral. (laughs) But you have this incredible on-screen chemistry with literally every other actor in the film. Your relationship to Macaulay and Gabby as Miles and Maisie, your relationship to John as Uncle Buck. Like, just even with Amy Madigan, Buck's girlfriend in the film. I would love to know, off-screen, who did you connect with most? Oh, that's a good question. You are right. They're all the greats. You know, and they've all got great careers. And, you know, it's interesting because I related, I related to the kids because I was still a kid and I had a tutor and I was there in the schoolroom, you know, doing my homework. But I was also, you know, used to hanging around with adults because I'd been in the theater leading up to that. Mm -hmm. But in some ways, I don't really know. I think I was a little bit on my own because I was kind of in between it was a blessing of an experience and it was also in some ways a little bit lonely because I didn't really know what I was doing and I really sort of like what happens a lot is you end up really connecting with the hair and the makeup people, you know, like they're just like taking care of you all the time. So they were like surrogate parents in some ways, but I will say that like John was just he's everything that you ever hear, you know, he was just kind and sweet and hilarious and generous. And I never saw him. There was never any kind of like ego or nastiness that like, you know, sometimes can happen when you're so famous and, Mm -hmm. you know, he was just, he was that guy that everybody loved and he really was. So, I mean, I, it was really wonderful for me, you know, every time I worked with him and also I loved the improvisation. He was just, you know, from that school. And so they, he and John Hughes, they would just sort of riff off of each other. And like, and a lot of the scenes that are in there are just him just sort of going on and on. Like the whole thing about the, the mouse and the cheese. Yes. Uh, <laughs> when he's talking to Elaine Branca, my mother, 
about, um, I guess, like clogging the toilet or something. Oh, yeah. Asking <laughs> that if... whole thing was not yeah. as a script. I don't think it yeah, was. Yeah, you probably have better plumbing than me, that whole bit. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's improvised. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, I would say that my best chemistry was with John because, I mean, it's just... He was the greatest, you know, he's a master. Sure. And I mean, y'all are the two main characters in the film. So it's also fun to me that you got to know and work with Macaulay before he was really Macaulay. You know, it was before he was no. Kevin McAllister. And I'm a huge Home Alone fan. And so I'm super excited for next year to get to talk about that film on the show. But yeah, he was so cute. Oh, my God. He was so cute. Just a natural talent. And Gabby, too. Oh, gosh. She's great. Yeah. That was her second film, right? Like, she had just done Field of Dreams with Amy Madigan. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and she's got a great career, too. I ran into her at the Emmys last year. I think it was maybe it was the year before. And it was so funny because she was, I think she's way taller than I am now. <laughs> you know, I still think of her as this little thing. Gosh, that's amazing. So I would love to know... And I get that this being your film debut, you were probably learning tons, but I would love to know sort of what jumps out of you is what did you learn working alongside John Candy and John Hughes? Just really to sort of let things unfold, you know, that flexibility and freedom of listening and responding, that was something that was part of the process for them. And it's such a gift when it is that way, because it's often not, you know, oftentimes you have to, you're on a schedule and you've got to get a certain number of shots and things move a lot faster in television as well. And so you kind of have a lot more people involved. And, but like when I was just doing stuff, you know, with the top of the line there, John Hughes and then John Candy, it's like, you just get to kind of relax into it and play. And that is something that was really cool to participate in. And and since then, I've seen that it's just not always, doesn't always work that way. It's just not feasible all the time. So when you mm -hmm. get to do it, it's really great. That's awesome. Well, Gene, thank you so much for being a part of the show. I absolutely love the film. I think you did a phenomenal job in it. Anything that you would want to point people to that you're working on today? I don't have anything that I can tell you about right now, but I can say that I will be in Call of the Wild, which I think is going to be released next summer with Harrison Ford. And I can say that I'm in the Top Gun movie, which is coming out next. Um, I think it's coming out next December. Oh, wow. Did they back it up? I saw it was summer 2020 is what they were promoting at one point. Oh, did they? Oh, okay. Well, then my information is wrong. Wow, that would be cool because I really want to see it. <laughs> yeah, me too. Very excited. Yeah, I saw that on your IMDb and I was just like, man, that's so cool that you're in the new Top Gun. So It's really cool. So fun. Well, thank you so much for being on. Uh, hopefully we can have you back on again down the line. Thank you so much for asking me. All right, we'll talk to you later. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Huge thanks to Gene for taking the time to be a part of this episode. If you want to hear more of our conversation, you can join me over on Patreon for as little as a few cents a day, friends. You'll get bonus content from this and other Milieu Media Group podcasts, as well as a behind-the-scenes peek at the incredibly difficult process of getting a podcast network off the ground. Just click the Patreon link in the show notes. Thanks also to Aaron and my sweet, sweet nephew Tristan for being a part of this episode. And last but certainly not least... Thanks to you for joining me each week on this fun little trip down memory lane. 
I love making this show, and as long as you keep listening and sharing it with other folks, I'm going to keep right on doing it. I'll be back next week to talk about five of the biggest names the 80s ever gave us. John, Danny, Joey, Donnie, and Jordan. Until then, get in your mouse and get out of here. 30 Pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Bronner. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. To check out more shows from Mill U Media Group, visit millumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 1989 that you want to share on the air, email 30poppodcast at gmail.com. 